Of all the mystery airship sightings of 1896 and 1897, few have intrigued modern UFO researchers more than an incident that happened in Oakland, California on November 26th, 1896. In this case, the object had many characteristics that have been in much more recent UFO sightings. The sighting is especially significant because the principal eyewitness was a highly educated young man, an amateur astronomer who had conducted a study of previous airship sightings. Also, this object was seen by multiple witnesses, who all testified to the truthfulness of his account. Finally, there was another witness in Oakland who saw the object fitting the same description in the same general area two days later. As reported on the front page of the Oakland Tribune on December 1st, 1896, the main eyewitness, Case Gilson, first saw the flying craft in Oakland on Thursday, November 26th at 8 p.m., and then again later at 8.30 p.m. The newspaper read, Now a young electrician of the city declares on his word of honor that he has seen the airship at close range and describes its exact appearance. The young man is Case Gilson, son of Professor Gilson, ex-superintendent of schools and principal of the Normal Training School. His testimony is supported by other young men who saw the strange aerial navigator at the same time. In addition to him, the other witnesses were his brother, whose name is not given, and the Patah brothers, meaning that at least four other individuals in total witnessed the sighting. It went on to say, The skies were perfectly clear, and a strong northwest wind was blowing. The airship was moving rapidly from the southeast towards the north in the teeth of the wind. No light was visible, merely the weird, peculiar body silhouetted against the clear skies. Case Gilson, his small brother, and the Patah brothers distinctly saw the strange sight, and Gilson describes its appearance very graphically. The airship was moving very rapidly from the southeast towards Lauren, and not a light was visible. It was about 1,000 or 1,500 feet in the air. Um, and looked like a great black cigar with a fish-like tail. So one notable thing is the description of the shape, which is a great black cigar with a fish-like tail, which is much closer to UFOs that are seen today. His description went on to say, if it had side propellers, they were revolving so rapidly that he could not see them. The body was at least 100 feet long and attached to it was a triangular tail, one apex being attached to the main body and the surface of the airship looked as if it were made of aluminum, which exposure to wind and weather had turned it dark. He saw all this distinctly and was willing to take any oath to, of truth of what he saw. The immensity of the object, 100 feet long, and the fact that its hull was 
of a dull aluminum color um, remind us of many UFO sightings that have occurred from the 1940s to the present. His description is considerably unlike other witnesses describing the airships that they saw that I've covered in other episodes of this podcast. Uh, Gilson continued, the airship went at a tremendous speed. As it neared Lorraine, it turned quickly and disappeared in the direction of San Francisco. At half past eight, we saw it again when it took about the same direction and disappeared. The witness is describing a very fast moving object with tremendous speed that twice made a sudden sharp 90 degree angle turn from going in a northerly direction to suddenly heading west. Its speed and maneuverability made clear that this was no balloon or dirigible, not to mention the fact that it had highly steerable um, self-powered dirigibles did not yet exist. Gilson, who had previously studied the airship uh, sightings around the country, told the newspaper reporter that the craft he saw probably used nitrogen gas to achieve lift and also possibly used, quote, Fargo electric batteries to supply the power for propulsion. He emphasized to the reporter that as an amateur astronomer, he could not have possibly mistaken a star, a cloud, or an electric light for what he saw. It was an airship. Of that, I am convinced, he said. Two nights after his sighting, an object that looked exactly alike was seen again in Oakland, this time by a gentleman named Percy Drew. The newspaper reported that Percy Drew was another individual favored with a glimpse of the airship. He says it visited Oakland Saturday night. It then carried a red light and moved with its usual quickness. Both young men agree that the ship was of enormous size, measuring at least 100 feet in length. Um, to me, it's just weird that, like, they always mention, like, a, like we would describe it as a strobe light. So, when was electricity invented? Oh, okay. So electricity was very, very new because uh, electricity was only uh, discovered in 1879. So um, I highly doubt they would have really, I mean, this is in, to me, sounds like the sticks, but um, um, so that's one of, you know, there, there are, um, cigar shaped UFOs that are reported, uh, in the modern day. Uh, there's a one even reported by, um, that was seen on a Navy jet fighters. Uh, there's like a camera or whatever that they released through a FOIA request that, um, it was like a cigar-shaped object that was um, moving around very rapidly on the camera of the uh, plane. So, hello, I'm your host, Luke, and today we're talking about Charles August Albert Delshaw and um, the Sonora Air Club. Charles August Albert Delshaw, born in Prussia 
on June 4th, 1830, and lived until April 20th, 1923 in Houston, Texas, was one of America's earliest known visionary artists who created drawing collages and watercolors of airplanes and airships and bound them in 12 known large scrapbooks that were discovered decades after his death. Um, so it's very, you know, this was like his life's work. So to me, it's very possible that he had um, created more of these than, you know, we found. Little is known about his life. Primary sources are scarce and secondary sources often contain contradictory information. It is known that he immigrated from Bradenburg, Prussia to Texas in 1850, where he worked as a butcher. In 1860, he received his letter of citizenship in Fort Bend County. And in 1861, he married one Antonia Hilt, the widow of Pierre Hilt, who already had a daughter from her previous marriage. His marriage to Antonia took place in Richmond, Texas. And at some point after the marriage, he started working as a sales clerk in his in-law's saddlery shop. In addition to his stepdaughter, Del Shaw had three children, two daughters, Bertha and Mary, and a son, Edward, who died in 1877 at age six. His wife, Antonia, died the same year, leaving her husband a widower at the age of 47. In 1865, he signed the Civil War Amnesty Oath, indicating that he was a soldier of the Confederate Army. And in this document, he is described as a fair-complexioned man of five foot three, with auburn hair and hazel eyes. I didn't know that part that he was a Confederate soldier. <laughs> After his retirement in 1899. He lived with his stepdaughter and her husband and worked in their attic apartment in Houston, Texas, where he filled at least 13 notebooks with drawings, watercolor paintings, and collages depicting fantastical airships. He died at the age of 93, which was like almost unheard of in that day, and was buried in the Washington Cemetery in Houston in Steltzig Plot A70, on his grave marker, the last name is misspelled as Del Shao with a W as a result of the U being written with an elongated tell on his death certificate. His grave marker also lists his initials as CA instead of CAA. Um, <laughs> so he's regarded as one of America's <laughs> earliest visionary artists. Um, his work has been interpreted as a testimony to the sense of optimism that new technologies inspire as they change the way people see the world. Flight, up until that time, had been a metaphor for man's pathos or his inability to accomplish what he was not meant to. So um, this kind of ties into a podcast I'm listening to right now from Our Fake History about how like the belief at the time is like, Whenever anything went wrong, apparently, um, it was because of man's hubris and you were being punished um, for, you know, exceeding that. And that's what they're talking about right here. Uh, and, you know, like, that's what they blame the 
Titanic's um, like tragedy on is that it was a result of man's hubris. Uh, his work is also remarkable in that it uses the medium of watercolor brilliantly, often using water as the medium with a subtle tint of color. His work shows the influence of circus of a circus banner painting and its use of centralized subjects and ornamental borders and often possesses a jewel-like quality. Revealing the 98 Rico Maresca exhibition, the New York Times said, quote, his images divine a fleet of craft that at their most recognizable suggest eccentric balloons or dirigibles or flying carriages and sometimes include pilots and passengers framed by further stripes as well as words, names, and numbers. The drawings intimate a universe almost as elaborate as Rizzoli's in a style reminiscent of Monty Python. Now, the book, The Secrets of Del Shao by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro tells the story of him and of the secrets the authors argue that Del Shao hid within his artwork. Pete Navarro spent 27 years studying his drawings and writings. And according to Navarro, the story of the Son Sonora Air Club and their achievements had been cleverly hidden by Del Shao in his drawings using several codes and unconnected sentences throughout the work. Thus, one would have to see all of the Del Shows to understand the narrative, which, you know, obviously, uh, um, like, they discovered it in a burned building, I think, and apparently his um, art pieces have been displayed in various galleries and... That was starting in 1969, and the most recent was up to May 15th, or sorry, February 19th to May 15th, 2022, uh, in the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Okay, um, so now we get into uh, the Sonora Air Club. It was a time of a gold rush and people of every nationality were pouring into California in search of that earth that would make them rich. The settlement of Sonora, about 130 miles east of San Francisco, was booming. It was there in the saloon of one of the local boarding houses that a group of men would get together every Friday night and talk of dreams. Human flight. They called themselves the Sonora Air Club, Aero Club, and over time they counted some 60 members, possibly many more. Their ranks include great characters such as Peter Menace, inventor of the club's secret, quote, lifting fluid. Uh, later described as a rough um, man, what as kind a heart as to be found in very few living beings. Despite being, quote, addicted to strong drink and flat broke, the Arrows Club's rules were roughly once a quarter. Each man had to stand before the gathered group and thoroughly exercise their jaws in telling how he would build an airship. On one night, 
1858, a man by the name of Gustav Fryer stood to present his invention, the Aero Guarda, an airship surrounded by a sort of hamster wheel cage that would protect its passengers upon landfall. Fryer was a highly educated mechanic, and he waltzed up to the blackboard, took the chalk in hand, and began, Brothers, you all know I am not quite a professor. I give you a nut to crack. My idea is to put a guard fence all around the machine to fall, land, easy and always safe, to keep some of you smarties from falling out. Uh, His contraption would somersault upon hitting water in such a way that the passengers would always stay perpendicular, head up on the floor of the hold, and he drew a sketch on the board and declared his work done. Um, it looks like the hamster wheel encompasses the whole, um, I guess, airship. Well, now some of you have to pay the treat for me. Tell you the truth, I am busted and dry as a fish. And they bought him a beer, lifted up their glass, and toasted his good health. Or perhaps they didn't. Perhaps he never stood up among his comrades and proposed this design, perhaps there was no Gustav Fryer at all. Uh, perhaps the Sonora Air Club never existed. <laughs> so 100 years later, a house in Houston, Texas caught on fire. In the aftermath, a fire inspector instructed the family to get rid of some of the old miraculously unscathed junk in the attic. The family complied and everything was soon landfill bound. Among the Debris, the 12 illustrated scrapbooks of one Charles August Albert Delschau, German immigrant, supposed former Sonora Aero Club member, created between 1908 and 1921 during his retirement. The pages document his recollections of the machines, meetings, and men of the erstwhile club. You know, this kind of reminds me of the guy that built the, uh, I think it's the Coastal Palace. Coastal Palace. What is it? Um, Lithuania. Uh, Coastal Palace. Man. What's his name? That's the guy who built uh, Lithuanian man who built Coral Castle. Yeah. Um, so it was Edward Leedskelman, uh, which was a guy who built the Coral Castle. Um, he was a man from Lithuania that died in 1951, and he built a thing called the Coral Castle, and it's a very, um, this is very heavy, uh, limestone or whatever, and he was a very tiny man, and, you know, like, just like our Mr. Charles Delshow, we know very little about his actual life until he died, (laughs) so... Um, yeah, so Delshaw's life work was carried unceremoniously out into the light of day and literally left in a heap in the gutter. 
Um, I was born into the gutter, though. No one quite knows who rescued these books from their landfill fate, uh, but some, they landed at Fred Washington's OK Trading Post. There they lay beneath some carpets until a student at a local university noticed them and brought them to the attention of a Houston art collector. By 1970, all 12 volumes had more permanent homes. Dealers and historians eventually tracked down some additional works, including a series of three journals called Recollections that also tell the story of the Sonora Air Club and its inventions with, quote, ink drawings of fanciful airships that look for all the world as if they had flown off the pages of a Jules Verne novel. But what's important is, like, this is all pretty much before Zeppelins and during Zeppelins were invented. And, you know, this ties very closely to the airship sightings that of 1896 and 1897 because... At this point in time, the concept of flight was still very brand new and like they didn't really understand it. And, you know, they were basically trying all sorts of different things. Altogether, these shoestring bound books contained some 2,000 pages, each a double sided collage replete with calligraphy often in a code that is still today only partially deciphered, drawings and newspaper clippings. You know, this kind of reminds me of the Voynich manuscripts, which I want to talk about in a different podcast. Those are from the Middle Ages, and nobody can actually, like, read any of those. So each page or plate is dated and numbered through the counting, though the counting starts in number 1601. Estimated 10 volumes with the first 1,600 drawings were presumed lost or destroyed. So, um, a woman that is a historian and former curator at the uh, San Antonio Museum of Art has spent 14 years trying to answer the questions of whether the Sonora Air Club existed. Uh, she says, um, we don't exactly know if this club existed, but she does believe he was in California, and she does believe he had some experience that was important to him that had to do with this, whether it was exactly as he depicted it or not in his later years. Um, Ari, uh, yeah. So although there's no record of Del Shaw in California, in his diaries he makes reference to people and places that are historically documented in California, such as a sheriff by the name of James Stewart, who definitely did exist, and an innkeeper named Freud, uh, who Baker White says also was well documented. But as for the members of the club, this is a frustrating part. He hasn't found them in Sonora in the 1850s, but he's found them in Napa Valley in 1900, or in San Francisco in 1872, or in Stockton in 1872. There are possible links, but there's nothing that is in Sonora. Uh, there is one Peter Menace, who served in the Texas Mounted Volunteers, volunteers during the Mexican War, died on November 1st, 1901, who is buried in Napa. Okay, so here's my 
uneducated own theory about this, all these people, is that you have to look to the part where he served in the Confederate Army, right? So maybe all these people that he said were part of the Sonora Air Club, Aero Club, were part of his regiment or were friends he made from the Civil War. And that explains why she's saying they're all over the country, but they're never in Sonora. Um, I, I don't know. So at the end of the day, uh, the club's historicity is thin at best. Peter Navarro uh, wrote, quote, Many of the newsworthy events that Del Shao claimed to have happened well, he was there have been verified, but those events dealing with the activity of the Aero Club have not. Personal search of records and cemeteries have turned up nothing that could prove the members ever existed. <laughs> All the signs seem to indicate that the club is not exactly an accurate recounting of fact. Um, he was just obsessed with uh, the thought of flight. If he ever did go to California, which it seems that he did, it makes sense that he would have arrived there fantasizing about air travel. Uh, the journey westward was full of hardship. Many in America want to be in California without ever having to go uh, through the trouble of getting there. Um, so Del Shaw himself expresses this desire laden with the prejudices and racial tensions of the time, writing in the border of one plate that, quote, the main object was to be able to cross the plains and avoid uh, Native American or uh, Caucasian man stairs. Drinking clubs, too, were common. The whole idea that during the gold rush, a group of men would have gathered weekly to drink while concocting designs for balloons, dirigibles and other flight craft is quote totally plausible according to Baker White um, da, 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 da. Uh, so he was born in Germany um, so my own great grandpa came over in when did he come over 1920 there's a um, family story that there was a certain um, German soon-to-be dictator uh, that my great-grandfather saw in a bar standing on a table in uh, Monheim, but I, I, I don't know if that's a true story. I think I heard it from my grandpa, but um, you know, my if I had to guess, I assume that Del Shao um, came here as a very poor German immigrant. Like my own great-grandfather, he uh, came here, didn't speak a lick of English, um, and uh, didn't have a cent or penny to his name at the time. He had a sign around his neck saying... Uh, get me to Littleton. <laughs> so going back to this, uh, 
one man wrote, Flight was the great dream of the ages. It may have been the one technological dream that's innate in human beings because of the birds, because other creatures fly and we don't. It becomes the dream of uh, flight psychologically embedded in us, connected to whose human desires to escape, to soar over obstacles, whether geographic or obstacles in life. Um, that psychological landscape was in place and then all of a sudden in the late 18th and 19th century with the advent of balloons, advances in mechanical engineering and the harnessing of electricity, the lo that, that long-held dream became a real possibility. That you have these waves of just raw enthusiasm sweeping through uh, society and everyone looked at one another and said, Gosh, you know, now we can actually do this. Um, that doesn't really matter. So the last part, um, I'll leave to the second part after I uh, come back to this in part two. But um, that will be in the same episode. So uh, I'll be right back. So expanding on um, the Sonora Air Club, uh, it was supposedly composed of men with Germanic names, likely immigrants to America, just like Del Shao. And they met amongst miners in the saloon at Sonora, talking not of gold, but of flight. My own personal theory is that maybe these were names that he met during the Civil War. Because that is one of the few facts that are verified of him, that he was... Uh, he did serve in the Civil War. I believe he was a Confederate, which uh, to me is a strike against him. <laughs> um, one man in particular stands out in Delshaw's work as the leader or principal in innovator in the Sonora Air Club, one Peter Menace. A German miner and rough sort, he is described as a drunk and a genius, tinkering with airships for the sole purpose of astonishing friends and maybe making enough money to keep himself in drink. It is he who engineered the miraculous lifting fluid that eventually allows all the Sonora Aero Club ships to float and fly. Menace calls this material soup, S-U-P-E. Essentially, it replaced hydrogen in their designs as drops of it, releasing into rotating metal plates called an electrand, resulting in a gas that filled the airship's envelopes to provide lift. So you might say they were driving around uh, hot air balloons. My... In one part uh, among his manuscripts, there are many tales told and scrawled annotations on his paintings. He tells of an airship pilot that the club suspected was taking payment for transporting cargo, and how the club orchestrated the crash of his vessel in retaliation. 
There's mention of members being forbidden to build the ships they had designed because they had been sharing too much information with people outside of a club and of a nosy boarding house owner who tried to eavesdrop on their meetings and got stranded on a cliff for her snooping. When ships were built, they had to be disguised as wagons so that no one saw them would think anything of them. So even half a century later, he didn't seem entirely comfortable writing about the secrets of the Aero Club. On some of his work is written in code, which of course is uh, odd for a memoir or a history. I mean, if you were very conspiratorial, you could link the Sonora Air Club as a possible um, inventor or the cause of part of the airship sightings. Uh, that were from 1896 to 1897. Uh, some deep details that we have come from the researcher P.J. Navarro, who claims to have cracked Del Shao's code after years of studying the work. According to Navarro, one prominent coded phrase seemingly in Greek letters, DM uh, equals XO, represents the name of a mysterious organization that financed or somehow otherwise supported or made possible the innovations of the Sonora Air Club. Navarro says his phrase decodes to NYMZA, although no one really knows what that acronym might stand for. Uh, the Sonora Air Club um, has been tied to um, multiple conspiracy theories, and I don't really want to entertain many of those. Um, the fact is that elements of Del Shao's story invite speculation as to its authenticity. It has been observed that the machinery he drew was very precise and that he used the same mechanisms over and over again, which would likely be the case if inventors were building their designs on previous iterations. Um, um, it can hardly be said when looking at his work that he lacked imagination. And this may actually be a mark against the truth of his stories. For many of the stories in his early memoirs are ridiculous, featuring a very fictive protagonist-antagonist relationship between Peter Menace and an obese foil character named Christian Axel von Romling who crashes his airship and thereafter becomes the butt of various pranks. Um, and yet, or wait, so when Menace tells of a dream he has and it becomes a narrative about rescuing the 
corpulent Romling from the moon. So apparently that's one of his stories on that. Um, when one actually wants to confirm that Delshaw wasn't in Sonora in the 1850s, one finds a blind spot in his past. No one seems able to confirm his whereabouts um, between his arrival at Galveston, Texas in 1849 and his marriage in Richmond, Virginia in 1861. But likewise, no one has been able to dig up any historical evidence of any of the principal characters ever having lived around Sonora at the time. Um, I will put forward, though, is that that's a long way to travel. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if the country even had the railroad at that time, or if it was, it was very rudimentary. Um, the works were completed in a furiously creative period from 1899 to 1923, when air travel was still looked at by most people as almost magical. Newspapers of that period were full of story about air travel feats and the acrobatic aerial dogfights of World War I were legend. Researchers have found no account of the Sonora, Sonora Air Club, of course, not in Texas or California. Um, the best we can do is speculate on the mystery and be thankful for the Houston junk dealer who saved a piece of art history. All works are in uh, watercolor, pencil, and collage on paper, uh, 17 by 18 inches. He would, uh, wait, this is a part I must. Delshaw was a butcher for most of his life, and only after his retirement in 1899 did he begin his incredible career as a self-taught artist. He began with three books entitled Recollections, which purported to describe a secret organization called the um, Sonora Air Club. He described his duties in the club as that of the draftsman. Within his collage watercolors of the airships they built were newspaper clippings that he called press blooms of early attempts at flight overlapped with his own fantastical drawings of gas and airships of all kinds. So ending on that, there's like three comments on one of these articles that I would like to there's two comments that I would like to read and end on. One is, um, I'm not sure if these people are real or, I mean, from reading this, it, these people all seem real. These are, these comments are all from 2013, by the way. So the first is clearly Del Shao was an alien with amnesia. He had pieces of his story that intermixed with pieces of his earth experience. He was compelled to write and draw in an attempt 
to give reality to both memories and especially to the other world memory that drove him mad with creativity. What marvelous stuff. Um, great article, John. So glad you wrote it. As a fortunate Del Shao collector, I find myself drawn to him on many levels and can sit in wonder and amazement near his work daily, pondering his life and mystery, trying to decipher the elements of his art and the mind of his this true genius. This guy believes Del Shao will eventually become the artist of legends and could easily, once widely discovered, become the quintessential visionary artist surpassing many of the currently sought-after artists of today. Um, yeah, who knows? Um, I personally don't think this existed, but nonetheless, it was, it's still a very cool... Uh, I'm just fascinated with the idea of UFOs before Roswell, because I just think that's like a very cool and forgive the pun, alien time uh, of, I guess, uh, paranormal history, right? So anyways, this has been your host, Luke. Uh, thank you for listening, and I hope you guys have a good weekend. Bye.